Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is Frank Madden. And today's episode is brought to you by our good friends at SeatGeek. Use the promo code L-O-B-U-C-K-S. Again, that's L-O-Bucks for Locked on Bucks. And that's the promo code to get you a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. And yes, the NBA season might be over for the Milwaukee Bucks, but the playoffs are still going strong. And with SeatGeek, there's always something that they can get you tickets for, whether that's concerts, baseball games, preseason football games, college football, whatever it is, they can get you tickets. So uh, SeatGeek is still hanging out with us, which is very nice, and we appreciate it, and we're happy to have them. So uh, LO Bucks at SeatGeek for the $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. Frank, um, uh, again, it's this is kind of weird trying to not do a daily schedule, but also talk. And um, I thought today we had some good stuff because uh, the Bucks announced early this morning that John Hammond would be having his end of the season press conference after the Bucks had their first draft workout. Um, I will be totally honest with you when I say I saw the list of players that were in today's draft workout and. That was the first thing I saw when the email came that, oh, the Bucks are doing a draft workout. And I was like, okay, let's see who the players are. Looked at them, and none of them are currently projected to be in the first or second round. Um, and then I finally saw the detail that John Hammond would be speaking, and yep, that was much more important um, than the draft workout. Uh, so it sounds like the Bucks are going to start doing draft workouts, and I know... Uh, I believe Jim Paschke talked with Billy McKinnon, Billy McKinney a little bit, and when he talked to them, he said that, okay, now we have a D-League team, so we have to go maybe a little bit deeper and figure out the, the guys that we can mark as possible D-League guys, which is kind of a cool thing to hear. Obviously, uh, <laughs> that that can may, mean Bucks fans can do even more research um, and try to dig even deeper for those hidden gems that will, will go undrafted. I don't think I'll be participating in trying to find those hidden gems, um, but certainly people are more than welcome to do to do so, and the Bucks will be doing so. Um, so again, it's just kind of cool that the Bucks now have a D League team, and that's something that that you can think of. Uh, so I don't know; it was just kind of a weird thing to think of that now they have that team and they're actively searching for players that can fit that mold. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you know, I think. For, for a lot of us hardcore fans, I, I don't know how much I'm going to actually end up paying attention to the D-League team. I think it'll be cool to you know, have it there, have it there being an option, um, especially for, for players who are on the, the big club. And, you know, there a couple of roster spots are going to be reserved for two-way players. Um, I, I know it's been asked in our comment or in our in our Twitter. And I think, um, I think Cam, was it Camille on Twitter asked us if, um, I think Gary Payton was was eligible for a two way contract. I think she asked, and I think that was brought up at the uh, the John Hammond media availability today as well. 
And um, I, I don't believe that there. I think you'd have to release him and then re-sign him to to one of those special uh, spots um, from from everything I can gather. Just because he, had, as far as I know, he has an NBA contract. It may not be guaranteed. Um, so random bit of minutia as we as we start here. But um, but yeah, interesting to see the D League team around. Certainly a guy like Gary Payton, if he it makes the roster next year, which I don't think there's any guarantee he does. We'll be interested to see how that works out this summer. Um, but guys like Gary Payton. Rashad Vaughn, um, I think Thon Maker has made it clear that he's not really D-League material anymore, which is good to report. Um, but certainly uh, whoever the Bucks end up in this draft with, and they have two picks, uh, I believe 17 and 47. Um, well, I know 17. I think the other one's 47. Uh, certainly it could be an option to uh, to try to get you know some extra games and some extra reps in and um, potentially use that as a tool and um, you know one more distraction for us uh, hardcore Bucks fans, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, I think that's a good way to put it. And yeah, like it's just it's just nice that the Bucks have that. And I know a lot of hardcore fans have been complaining for a while now that the Bucks should have a D League team. It's a, just another way to augment your roster and to find those hidden gems and yeah it'll it'll be interesting i don't know again i don't know how much attention i'll be paying to it um i'm sure i'll make a trip or two up to oshkosh uh, to kind of check it out but yeah it, it'll just be interesting and, and another thing for us to kind of keep track of as the season goes on so by the, by the way one 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 of the things that that I, I always recall as like 10 years ago like i literally 10 years ago was when I first started writing about about the Bucks. So in October, I think 30th, 2017, will be the 10-year anniversary of, of Brew Hoop's existence. That's crazy. Um, so, yeah, pretty weird. Um, but, uh, but I remember in the early days, you know, when they would have draft workouts, especially back then, you know, a lot of the excitement around the team oh, for a long time has been, hmm, let's get to the draft and think about the future and not think about this current team as much. And... Part of it is obviously these these workouts, second round picks, and man, when you first start writing about the Milwaukee Bucks, y- you can talk yourself into actually spending time writing about how a second round pick might fit on the Bucks roster, <laughs> and then after a while, you just realize like, yeah, I don't care enough. Like ninety seven to nine percent of the guys who come in through that door are not going to ever be Milwaukee Bucks. I'm just not going to think about what they may or may not bring, and and that's okay. Um, I'll, if they get drafted, I'll, I'll worry about it then. So, um, I, I honestly, I was working, uh, the last couple of days It really didn't, didn't, uh, pay much of any attention to social media except late at night. I, I didn't even, I wasn't even aware until you told me that, that the bucks actually had a workout today. I thought it was just a Hammond thing. And as soon as you started describing that, I thought, you know what? I don't even care who, who was in today. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to think about it. You know, the D league thing does make it more interesting for the reasons you mentioned, but, um, yeah, I'll just wait to see who's on the roster. Yeah, we we will see who's there. And what you can go see right now is tickets on SeatGeek. And there's obviously the Bucks are done, but there's still NBA playoff tickets there. And I never know where our listeners are from. So you may be in a town where there still is NBA basketball going on. And you can still check out playoff tickets and do that at SeatGeek. And they're going to find the best deals for you. They use their algorithms. They go through it and grade all the seats for you they tell you what's a good deal what's a great deal what's an amazing deal they figure that all out for you they go to the other sites and get their tickets and put them on their site and they just do everything for you it's so simple it's so easy and whether you're using seatgeek.com whether you you're using the app it it really doesn't matter they're gonna find the best seats for you um i know i'm 
currently looking at Brewers Red Sox Red Sox tickets. So again, I don't know if we have a crossover baseball. Randomly, as I've tweeted things from Brewers games in the last couple months, people have asked for Lockdown Brewers. Um, I know Frank will not be participating in that. Um, <laughs> I don't think I will convince uh, David Locke to start a locked on MLB network. Um, but yeah, it's kind of cool to see that people kind of have that crossover interest. Uh, but yeah, next week the Red Sox are going to be in town and the Red Sox are never in town. Uh, so if you want to get seats for that, they're, they're cheap, great deals. You can check that out at SeatGeek. And as always, you can use our promo code. It's LO bucks. And the easiest way to do it is to download the app, then go to the settings tab, pick add a promo code, add promo code L O B U C K S. Again, that's L O bucks for lockdown bucks, and you'll get a twenty dollar rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. So go out and use it today and get some great seats to whatever. And again, it's not just sporting events; it could be concert tickets, it could be literally pretty much whatever. Um, SeatGeek has it all. So go check that out today. By the way, I was I was doing some some research on the Milwaukee Brewers today. I was uh, I was driving and my uh, I finally I've been playing phone tag with one of my my like best friends in the world uh, from growing up Kevin Demowski shout out to Kevin he's a uh, uh, grew up in in uh, in Macquan together and Kevin he start, he he's not really a, a huge basketball fan not really been a historically huge Bucks fan he told me he was getting into the Bucks a little bit in the playoffs which I was excited about. And uh, he said he was going to start listening to the podcast. Okay. So shout out to Kevin. And he was giving me the lowdown. He has a new baby. He's been watching Brewer games at night, sort of after he puts his baby to bed as kind of background, you know, TV. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was, I, I've just been kind of watching Brewer's box scores a little bit. Um, so I, the other day I, I referred to um, Marcus Thames as Marcus Thames, like the river in England. And I was quickly uh, corrected by someone who told me that, no, it's Thames. Um, and so it's I, also I, Eric Thames. Oh, Eric Thames. What did I say? Marcus. But there was Marcus. there used to be a Marcus, Marcus. Thames. So it's oh, totally, I was say. That, okay, that, that's a, another former baseball player. You're in See, the red I'm, region. It's all good. I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to catch up. But um, <laughs> yeah, I know Ryan Braun is still on the team. Yes. And I know like Travis Shaw is a person on the team. Correct. And uh, Arcia and yep. VR yep. Vilar are like are not hitting well, but they're like, what are they? They're like good defensively or something like that. So, uh, RCS, um, so very that, good VR, not so much, but yeah, you, you're hitting, not, you're hitting okay. a lot of key spots here, Frank. Okay. Okay. Well, that is the, um, that'll be the end of, of this lockdown brewers segment. <laughs> um, and, and hopefully one day there will be an actual lockdown brewers and we should probably get our friend Gabe Stoltz to like do he, Gabe would be good at that. He's a, like a huge brewers fan. He's also a great ba- basketball guy, but uh, yes. writing for brew hoops. So, um, shout out to Gabe, but anyway, yeah, if I would, if Ever- I would ever start locked on brewers, it would be with Gabe. Like I would, I would grab yeah. Gabe instead of obviously not you. Cause that's just not something you would ever want to commit yourself to. No, I'm, I think I'm, I'm capped out at one <laughs> daily podcast. Thanks. Thank you very much. Um, but, uh, but shout out to Gabe and big shout out to Charles Gardner of the Journal Sentinel. Um, I, you know, I've never I've actually never met Charles like we follow each other on Twitter. We'll retweet each other. I've only heard great things about Charles. Aaron Johannes had a great tweet about um, when he first started covering the Bucks when he was in college and Charles being like the first person to like, you know, come up and talk to him and, and give him the lay of the land. And I know you've obviously gotten to know Charles well the last few years covering the box. You guys ask all the questions basically at pre and post game uh, between the two of you. Um, but Charles is, uh, is retiring, leaving uh, the journal Sentinel um, has covered the Bucks since 2009, 10 season. So 
Um, big shout out to Charles. Thanks for all his hard work and um, hopefully he uh, hopefully he gets to enjoy. I, I know Charles is a soccer fan. I think he's a Barcelona fan like me. So hopefully yes. he gets to hopefully he gets to do a trip to the Camp Nou and um, and uh, and enjoy some more soccer. And, and uh, um, I guess he's uh, what he's got a lake house. I think he said he he's going to hang yeah. out more. So um, so anyway, I, I'm uh, you know I think every Bucks fan obviously is, has read pretty much everything Charles written over the years. Um, but you know yeah. him. You actually know Charles. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't feel like I should be giving giving Charles the 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 the, the, the major treatment here because you're the one who knows him so well. Yeah, uh, I wrote a big long note on Twitter as well, and it hits essentially the same notes that that Aaron hit. And I, I told a story about how I had been writing at Milwaukee Magazine. Obviously, that's kind of where you and I got to know each other, and I, I had a column there, and I was in Kansas at the time, and then. You you saw me there, and then we started interacting, and then I started doing stuff with Brew Hoop last year. And when I when I came and covered like my first preseason game, I went to the media scrums, and Aaron Johannes, our, our friend, was obviously still here, and he kind of he like broke it down like, hey, this is where it'll be, and this is where we'll go, and this is kind of how things are done, and that's all well and good, and obviously a, a very uh, helpful functional map for the night, but then there's the actual kind of idea of asking questions and how you interact with people. And I, I was kind of a, just a total novice at that. Obviously, I, I've done a bunch of media stuff and covered different sports and been a bunch of different places, but that was my first time kind of in Milwaukee. And uh, I had said that for a couple weeks, I would go, I'd ask my questions and I would never really feel totally comfortable. I would just kind of be like, all right, like I'm asking questions and I think I'm doing okay, but there's not really any way to know that. And then I think like two or three weeks in, the one night uh, we got done with pregame, we went back to the media room and I was talking to Aaron because Aaron was the only person I knew. And Charles came over and introduced himself and then said like, Hey, that, you're asking some really great questions. Uh, I've really appreciated it over the last couple of weeks. Jason seems to react really well to you, which now is kind of funny to think about. Um, but he was just like, you're, "You're doing a great job," and like at that time, like that was like, "Oh, okay, I belong here. <laughs> like I, I, I kind of belong, and I'm I'm doing something right." Like Charles, who's been doing this forever just said that I'm doing a good job and asking good questions. Like, okay, like I, I kind of belong. And I've relayed that story a bunch of times. Obviously I told that story on Twitter, uh, yesterday and it's funny how many people have had that exact same story. Uh, like Aaron had it. Um, and uh, pretty much any, any person who's had a Milwaukee Bucks blog and decided to go cover games, they've had that exact same moment where, Charles has been welcoming and and wonderful and nice and said some sort of encouraging words um, and just like it, it that's his beat like he doesn't need to do that <laughs> he he never needed to be nice to any of us he he could have I, I mean he could have done the exact opposite like he could have talked over us he could have laughed us out of there he could have just told us to stop asking questions like you're embarrassing yourself like he could have done any of those things but instead. He was just the nicest guy and was so welcoming. And in the last year, I, I, him and I have become 
thick as thieves. Um, <laughs> it, it I, in the thing I wrote on Twitter, it's going to be really strange covering anything without Charles today. Covering Hammond's press conference without Charles was was a strange, strange experience. And uh, I think one of the things people always joke about is how close Charles is to his subject when he's interviewing. He's always pretty much right on that person's left or right shoulder nodding nodding and <laughs> just saying okay okay yep uh and today everyone was kind of joking like okay who's gonna fill that spot and as we we filed in to talk to john i was in that spot and then i was asking questions and then uh my friend or one of our friends uh tom oates at the wisconsin state journal after it came up and looks at me and he puts his he puts his two index fingers roughly roughly a foot apart, and he just looks at me, and I was like, "What well, what are you doing, Altsy?" And he was like, "That's how close you were to John Hammond. You you were Charles today." And I was like, "Oh man, was I really?" And he was like, "Yep, you're right there." And then all the TV guys were like, "Yep, you were in all of our shots. Like we we couldn't get a shot without you in there." So yeah, you took his spot, and to even think that i was doing that or even in the loosest metaphorical sense taking Charles' spot is just a just a crazy thing to even think about so i i don't know how i will get through next season without him and it, it's been a, a great two years hanging out with him learning from him and uh just kind of covering the bucks with him uh so it's been great he'll be missed and obviously he's been pretty much everyone's source any Bucks fan source for Bucks information for, I mean, since the the Bucks got let's say relevant again, since that fear of the deer run, like he's been the guy. So um, yeah, it'll be it'll be really interesting. Uh, but I guess that's enough. He'd probably be embarrassed with how much uh, time we've just spent on him. But he deserves it. He was a great guy, great reporter, great writer, um, and he'll be missed. But he's not dead. Like he's still alive. Yeah, I was gonna say you made it sound like No, he's yeah. not dead. Like yes, he's he's very much alive. He's, he's doing very fine. much alive. He's great, and I'm sure I'll see him again uh, in another week or so. But uh let's move on to Hammond's press conference, or whatever you want to call it. It it was essentially exit interviews, but they kinda did exit interviews sort of after the the Bucks game. And I guess taking a look at some of the stuff he said and talked about, um, there's a couple things that stick out to me and I tweeted about it and I said that my my favorite John Hammond moments are when he gets just a little fired up like because John Hammond doesn't really get mad he just gets a little bit fired up and sometimes if you ask just the right question or if it happens to be a topic that he feels very passionately about like you can just kind of see him get a little bit more emotional and you can see his passion physically come through him as he starts to talk and today it was a question that that Tom Oates had asked about Chris Middleton and what to expect from him next season and uh, I tweeted out the quote it's quite long um, so I'll try to kind of paraphrase it but um, he just mentioned that you you know now what you're getting from Chris Middleton, like he he mentioned that if you're talking about winning a man's respect, that's what Chris Middleton did playing 42 and a half minutes, and uh, suggesting that should he have played that last game, probably not, but he did it. He did it for his teammates, he did it for the coaches, he did it for this organization, and he did it for the fans. 
that guy sacrificed a lot to be out on that court, and I can't tell you how much I think of him and his efforts. And I, I thought it was really interesting, and uh, again, fired up John Hammond is my favorite John Hammond, and that was kind of something where you could see that come out of him. And I guess it, it was interesting to me because I think as we've started to talk about Chris Middleton this season, like we've gotten to the point where we forgot that he came back a month earlier than any of us expected. And we forgot that he maybe, was maybe, maybe even longer more, I think more like a month and a half or three weeks, but yeah, yeah. absolutely. He came back. I mean, a lot of us, we, you know, part of the reason why we thought the bucks were not going to be a playoff team was because we didn't think Chris Middleton was going to play at all this year. So absolutely. So, so he comes back early and I, I think that's just something since he ended up playing so well, roughly after like a week of coming back, uh, I think we just kind of forgot and just thought like, oh, Chris Middleton's back. And Chris Middleton is back to being himself. And I think we went back to immediately grading him as harshly as you would grade someone that's the second best player on your team. And uh, again, I I'm, I would say I'm happy that we did that. Like I think if you do come back and you are willing to play and you're going to be on the floor, like you do deserve to get graded in that way. Um, but at the same time, I think we we did lose sight of this guy came back early. It's surprising that he was even playing, and for him to be, I mean, there was games in that series where he was the second best player on the floor. Like Giannis was the first best player, and Middleton was the second best player. And and granted, maybe that was game one where both Raptors stars were both just awful. But there was other times in that series where Middleton was one of, was one of the two best players on the floor, and. I don't know. I think we kind of lost sight of it, and maybe maybe Hammond heard some of that. Maybe Hammond thought that people were being a little bit too harsh on him. Um, but yeah, that that really stood out to me. Yeah, and, and I certainly was thinking it too. I mean, I, during the series, I, I kind of I, I was frustrated, right? Because I think a lot of the the you know when the Bucks sort of started to grind to a halt, you know, I just have these images of Chris getting the ball in like the high post and kind of trying to bang a little bit on like a smaller guy or maybe a not so smaller guy, and just you know, the Raptors being really physical and, you know, taking advantage of, of a pretty, I don't know what, what's, what's the opposite of a loose whistle. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, but, but, but basically, you know, kind of throwing their, their bodies around at him. And, um, you know, again, the post is a place where you obviously can get away with a lot. Um, but the interesting thing I, I found too, was I was looking at po- the playoff stats, like the play type stats, and I think Chris was actually, and it was this is a small sample, but I believe he was actually the the he averaged one point seven points per play out of post possessions, and was like <laughs> the best in the playoffs or something like that. Which I it was like a really small number of possessions, but yeah. um, and again, like not all you know possessions that start in the post actually like count right. Like if he gets ridden out and he doesn't get a shot, then it doesn't count as a a play. But you know he did actually he did have some success there in the first game when they doubled. Um, you know, he was able to facilitate and, and do some things. And in that last game, I mean, what do you have? 19 points on 13 shots, something like that. And, yeah. you know, you, you relayed the message that I think he couldn't literally talk after the game and, and his illness, you know, was very real. And, um, you know, he, he produced at a pretty high level after, you know, struggling in a number of games in the series. And, you know, I think it's fair to wonder, I mean, I don't think Chris Middleton is the number two on, you know, a title contending team two, three years from now, no. but, um, but whatever, I mean, that, that, that's not on Chris to, to be that guy, right? He wasn't, he, you know, he wasn't, he was drafted in the second round by, the, by Detroit. He was, you know, 
again, I don't think the Bucks, you know, thought he was thrown when they tried to get him when they got him in the Brandon Knight, Brandon Jennings deal. I think they legitimately thought he might be something, but you know, you don't expect him. Never, nobody expected him to be this good, and um, for him to, you know, again come back early from an injury, and you know, I said success in the second half of the season. I think I said was Chris, don't get injured. Thon and Jabari do st- or Thon and, and Giannis do stuff. That was kind of like Thon played, Giannis just be awesome, and Chris Middleton not get hurt. And yep. you know, again, this was post Jabari injury. Obviously, that that kind of you know threw a major damper on the season. But pretty much everything else we got, and and we got a bunch of wins as well, which you know obviously we didn't necessarily expect. So, um, so I thought that was pretty cool um, to hear John remind us that. And and you know, um, Chris hasn't played well in either playoff series he's been in. This one, obviously, different circumstances, and um, you know, you'd hope that he has a, a good summer, gets stronger, gets you know everything back that that he had before. But encouraging to see, even Chris Middleton not at 100% was was still a very effective player overall, uh, and and obviously he was key in in kind of helping them get over the hump and start to win some games. Whether whether it was luck or or clutchness, whatever it might have been, Chris Milton was obviously a key piece of that. And, you know, ultimately it's about winning and losing. And, and he was definitely a big part of their winning, even if, you know, he had a little bit of an up and down playoff. So shout out to Chris Middleton. And, you know, he's a guy you, you love to have on this roster moving forward. And he's going to be critical. So one thing that immediately hopped into my mentions after was, I guess my two takeaways was, one, Middleton was really freaking sick during that game. <laughs> like uh, th- That has been made evident to me through any dealings with players, um, just hearing that he couldn't talk after. The- like He was very sick in that game. And the other one was that they don't feel that he was at 100% throughout this, this season for the most part. And a bunch of people hopped in my mentions and were like, well, then why was he on the floor? Like, if he's not 100%, what's he doing on the floor? And I I, I don't want to say I thought it was... I don't, I don't, I don't want to say I thought it was dumb, but it was just... When you look at someone coming back from an injury, like, how often do you see that player return from an injury, one that's significant, and say, like, oh, yeah, he's 100%. He's back. Like, there's no doubt. Like, this guy... He looks exactly like the player he used to look like. Like that's that's never happened. And I'm not saying that that couldn't happen next year, like after he's recovered a little bit longer. But I don't necessarily get upset with with the team for putting him on the floor when he's a hundred percent healthy, but not a hundred percent back. If that makes any sense. Like I think there's a big difference between being one hundred percent healthy, which I think Chris is, and being one hundred percent back. The, those are two different things. Like when you're 100% back, that means you're doing the same moves. You have, you're able to have the same explosiveness. You're able to get to the same spots on the floor, be able to do the same things, attack the rim the same way. Like I think there's a difference between being 100% back and 100% healthy. And Chris was 100% healthy, and they felt more than confident in his ability to go on the floor and play as much as he did. But they knew that he wasn't going to be quite what he was. Does that make sense, or am I crazy? Because uh, there was just kind of a visceral reaction in my my mentions, and I was kind of taken aback by it because I, I just I just don't expect a player to be themselves immediately returning from an injury as significant as that. Yeah, I mean, th- there is a process of of playing yourself back into shape, right? I mean, I think especially with serious injuries. I mean, I think the main thing is you don't bring a guy back so early that he's you know has an increased 
likelihood of, of re-injury, right? I think, and I think that's what probably fans would, where, where fans would draw the line, right? I mean, it, it's one thing for a guy, you know, not to be 100% back to what he was. Um, but to some extent, you can't be back to what you were just by shooting on an empty, mm-hmm. in an empty gym, right? I mean, Chris yep. Middleton's never going to be back to where he was unless he starts playing and practicing and doing that stuff. So, um, you know, I think early in the season, a lot of us were kind of like, well, hey, they better not risk anything. And honestly, if they're out of the playoff race when he's, you know, able to come back, then do you even bother bringing him back? You know, is it sort of maybe some stealth tank <laughs> potential there that you just say, you know what, Chris? let's just take the rest of the season off and, you know, pull a Phoenix Suns or whatever, where you just don't play your good players for, you know, the end of the season. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, to be honest, I, I kind of pretty quickly shifted into, you know, he seems okay, but you know, he, he didn't seem like he was in danger of being hurt. Um, they obviously didn't plan having playing back to backs initially trying to take some precautions. Um, they got his minutes up over time. So, you know, ultimately, he seemed fine and um you know he made it through the season and you know knock on wood so far so good so um i, I think yeah there i think there is a middle ground there that, that a guy can can be less than 100 percent. i mean jabari parker guess what jabari parker is not going to be 100 percent when he comes back next year jabari parker is not going to come yeah. out of the box and just be the jabari parker we saw you know a minute before he got hurt i mean that's just not the way it is it's going to be a process and it's you know all about balancing putting a guy at risk um, and bringing him back before he's not ready and uh, and then getting him out there so that he can start to get back his rhythm, his timing, um, his legs, you know, all those things. So um, so that's 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 why they pay training staffs good money, right, <laughs> to try to figure those things out. So hopefully with Chris, you, you obviously expect him to be hopefully his own self by this fall. And um, I think all things considered, you have to be really happy with I mean, it, let's be honest. Chris Milton suffering as as bad of a hamstring injury as, as I've ever heard of anybody having. Um, Literally off the bone. Off the bone. I mean, you know, to crazy. have a guy immediately get a six month diagnosis for a hamstring injury, I've never heard of that really. Um, to then have him come back at four and a half months and be a productive NBA player, win, help you win games for sure, and make it through that season in healthy fashion and, and, you know, again, uh, overachieve as a team, uh, late in the season or, or at least surprise some people by bouncing back and playing much better than they did in the middle of the season. Um, I'd say, you know, from, for Chris Milton, where we were at the end of September with the in- hearing about the injury, I think this was in many ways sort of a best case scenario for, for what we ended up getting out of it. All right. Um, other things, I think that was my most major takeaway from the day. I thought that was the thing that I kind of highlighted and thought was most interesting, but there was some other stuff. Um, while we were there, Jabari Parker was shooting around, obviously, uh, the day after their Game 6 loss. Uh, when they were doing exit interviews, I tweeted out a picture of Jabari shooting, and he was doing some more of that today. And uh, John was, was very excited about that and made sure throughout uh his interview to kind of mention man he, lo- he looks really good and it's kind of it's just amazing that he's out there and we th- we're thinking like wow he's gonna play so soon but we have to remember that you know he he is progressing well but still a little bit away and the one thing that i mentioned was well 
you had Giannis last year sign his early extension in the fall, and that same extension deadline will be up for Jabari this year, and I think it's October 31st again this year. I don't know if it changes from year to year, um, but it'll be around no, that. And end of October. Yeah. Okay, so October 31st again, and with that deadline is kind of your chance to extend someone early, and if not, if you don't extend them in that time, then they go to restricted free agency the next year. And with Jabari's timeline, that would be extending him before you've seen him return from the the ACL injury or his second ACL tear. And then you'd go to restricted free agency at the end of the year where you would have roughly, uh, Hammond mentioned all-star break is kind of a time where they might see Jabari return next year, which makes sense. Like he turned, he tore it right around the All Star break this year. Um, so you're going to think twenty to twenty five games for Jabari next year, and then you'd have a decision to make in restricted free agency. And I think one thing we've talked about before, we talked about it as soon as it happened. I, I mentioned the the Steph Curry glass ankles contract, and the contract I'm referring to there is. His four for forty four um, extension, and he signed that I believe uh, after the eleven twelve season, um, or no, yeah, yeah, the fall uh, of twenty twelve. Correct. So he signs it there, and then the the Warriors get this this insane deal as the cap increases, and the, the, they get him for a discounted price, which was below the max. And we were, we, before we came on, we were trying to figure out what the equivalent would be for Jabari in this new cap era. And we were thinking four for 80 would be about there. Um, and again, that's a lot of money. And I'm sure people are freaking out just hearing me say four for 80. Um, but I do think that's... I think the interesting part with this Bucks offseason is that their way to keep assets is to sign guys. Like, they can't go out and really get guys. Like, if Monroe comes off the books, if Snell comes off the books, like, they still don't have much cap room. So the only way in these next two years that, and again, there's trades and, and a lot of other stuff, but just making simple moves, the their only way to really create assets and to create some positive value is to sign guys. So uh, you you have Monroe opt in, or you have Monroe opt out and then re-sign them. You have Tony Snell uh, come back this year, and uh, you match whatever deal he gets in restricted free agency, and then you would sign Jabari to a below value contract. But again, like you don't know what his value is, so there's inherent risk in that contract but to me that's just something that is really interesting with him and uh when i asked hammond about it he said as far as his future in milwaukee we think it's long term that's the goal that has always been the goal i think all we do is we have discussions maybe they come from different directions right now as to what we can do with him but a couple of things number one we want jabari here and number two he wants to be here similar to Giannis, i think with that in mind for both parties i think that will happen so that seems very positive and they seem to think that they can get something done. Um, but I, I don't know. It, it's, it, it, it would be impossible to talk about that idea with, without talking about the upsides. Like I said, like if you can sign a star type player below market value, then all of a sudden team building becomes much easier for you. But if you sign a guy to a four year, $20 million contract and 
he doesn't look like the player that he used to be, high Chandler Parsons, then all of a sudden you have a problem on your hand. You have a contract that you can't move and you have a contract that's crippling and kind of handicapping your team building going forward. So I, I don't know. To me, that's one of the, if not the most interesting, one of the most interesting subplots of this summer, um, of this kind of lead up into the next season. I'm totally fascinated by it. Are you? Yeah, it's and, and I don't know. I'm some I don't know if I'm trying to just maintain sort of blissful ignorance about both like Snell and the Jabari situations, but I do think it's interesting. I mean, there there is probably some middle ground there and um yeah. as you said, Steph Curry signing 11 million per year uh in with a 58 million dollar cap, you know, roughly the cap's gone up 75% since then, so you gross that up 11 million by 75%, you get you know, I don't know, 19 million, 20 million, something on that order. So that's where we're, where we're coming up with the 80 million and um I mean, it'll be interesting to see sort of how I think this summer, you know, turns out in terms of the deals we see this summer for guys like, um, you know, Otto Porter, who are hitting restricted free agency. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what happens with the other um, kind of young guys out there. I mean, um, you know, I think Wiggins presumably will get signed to Max. Um, I, I think other guys like Aaron Gordon might be more interesting to look at because, you know, you could make the case that they're not Max guys. Um, right now, but certainly a year from now, we might look back and say, wow, I can't believe we didn't think Aaron Gordon was a max guy. Um, and right now, I mean, based on where the cap is, um, I think, you know, Jabari's max that he could get from another team in 2018 would project to be around uh, $114 million over four years. So if you're looking to kind of do the math and say, well, what kind of discount is that really? Um, you know, we know Giannis signed for four years $100 million. Uh, he could have signed for four years 106 projected um with another team um that's like the, that was the projected max sort of on a with, with you know again um if he had, didn't sign sort of the 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 um the, the sort of super max uh five-year deal but um for jabari you know yeah if you get him at 80 million that's a hell of a lot of money especially if it's a guy that you're worried about not being a very you know very much above average nba player um and obviously there are all sorts of questions beyond the knee too i mean you know is, is jabari going to be um, you know, defensively good enough to really mm-hmm. help you win a lot of games, things like that. Um, so yeah, it's it's a ton of money. It's a ton of money at twenty million, but eighty million is a hell of a lot less than than one hundred and fourteen, hundred and fifteen. Which um, certainly, you know, if he hits restricted free agency, and maybe there's a, a team out there with with a lot of cap space that wants to roll the dice and take a chance on a young guy who really at that point, you know, again, um, if he comes back next All Star break, twenty twenty five games after an ACL tear, I mean, you're presumably not going to see you know, peak Jabari Parker again, right? You're yeah. going to see a guy who's still coming back. So, um, so it's going to be a, a tough call if, if you know, the Bucks have to go into that summer with, with still no real sort of certainty on what Jabari Parker is at that point. And obviously, a lot of it will be a gamble on, you know, what they've seen him do previously, their belief in that knee and and the structural integrity of it. And obviously, we know that that they think of him very highly. And I don't, I don't know. Did we ever talk about the article he wrote for Players Tribune? It was almost like. I almost felt like a shame to like read it and then ever think about wanting to trade Jabari Parker or not, you know, have him in Milwaukee forever. Cause he was yeah. just like so effusive and great about the team and about, you know, the city of Milwaukee, et cetera, et cetera, that, you know, you really do read it and you're just like, man, I want Jabari to just, I want this to work out, you know? And, and obviously the bucks seem to very much want the same thing. So certainly, um, nothing, nothing we heard from John Hammond or, or that we've seen, you know, certainly the sort of early indications on Jabari's rehab seem to be good. But again, it's early. Long way to go. Uh, let's let's try to go rapid fire on some other stuff. Um, 
obviously Hammond was asked about Monroe and Snell. Um, with Monroe, obviously that's kind of a different situation. He was he was very much sure to mention the fact that this is Greg's decision, that it, we aren't really a part of it, that it, it is up to Greg, and Greg and his agent will decide what is best for them. Um, so that's always, that's always something. Um, one interesting thing, and I, I tried to get John to confirm the date today. He, he was not willing to do so, but we've seen a report by, reported by Basketball Insiders that uh, his opt-in date is draft night. Right, like that's that's the date we have uh, on the twenty second of June uh, for Monroe, which is earlier than normal. Normally, it is. Um, I think the normal opt in date is the 29th and sometimes it's a, a little bit earlier. But the twenty second, I think, is strangely early. Uh, and I, I try. I was hoping John might uh, confirm that that is actually the date, but he he would not go there. But he did say that they're comfortable with it. So um, I don't know. What, what are you thinking on Monroe? Did you think anything was interesting there other than John pretty much saying, well, you know, it, it's up to him and we'll see what he decides. Yeah, it was a little interesting that he didn't um, he didn't really seem to go out of his way to sort like, I mean, with Snell, he seemed to be pretty clear about talking about Snell and how much, how, you know, how much they liked Snell and how much, um, you know, they were expecting him to be back and et cetera, et cetera. And obviously he was, he's restricted. So they have more control over that. Um, but it was almost weird that, that it seemed like all he did was sort of deflect the, the Monroe talk. Um, and, uh, and I don't know, you didn't get the feeling that John Hammond is, you know, necessarily really that concerned or that, I don't know. Like it's almost like he doesn't know if he wants Craig Monroe to opt in, um, which uh, which is interesting, right? Because obviously they were they were very successful with him on the court this year, and that obviously turned around a, a year a year ago when when obviously there were a lot of questions about the way he integrated with the team. So so I don't know. It, I thought it was interesting that it it seemed sort of I don't know more deferential than I thought as far as what what they even would want Greg Monroe to do. Um, I was going to say, like, I asked a couple times about Greg at the start of, of this big long session, and then I kind of mentioned it again when I was talking about, well, do you feel a little handcuffed with Greg and Tony kind of holding stuff up? And then that was like the first time he was like, oh, I thought Greg had a great season, and what he does is going to be really hard to replace. And it was just, like you said, it was kind of weird that that wasn't earlier, because every time I brought up Tony, it was. Tony's the greatest. We love Tony. We we expect to have him back. And like you said, two very different situations. One's a player option and one is a restricted free agent. So obviously you can have that confidence in bringing a restricted guy back. Um, but yeah, it, it did very much seem like Tony Snell was, was kind of their guy and a guy that they thought they could see coming back next year, which I, I think makes, makes quite a bit of sense. And um, I, again... I've teased it in the past, but I think we'll hash it out at some point where we think his value is. I know in the last week I've read Kevin O'Connor, who mentioned Alan Crab money. I've read Bobby Marks, who said, no way it's north of $10 million. Um, I've listened to uh, Nate Duncan and Danny LaRue on the, lock, or on the Dunk Down podcast, excuse me, and they said, you know, it could be between, I don't know, 10 to 12, 9 to 11, somewhere in there. Um, so I don't know. There's 
there's a lot of varying opinions. I ran a poll the other day on Twitter to see how willing people would be to go to different different lengths, um, and I put out, okay, uh, I, I think the choices I said, how high would you be willing to go, and I put it at 4 for 44, um, and then 4 for 15, essentially, I think 4 for 70, and then four for whatever 18 is i'm trying to think of whatever the number is so essentially 72 11 14 72 and then all of these are too much and only four percent said they would go to alan crab levels which i think is encouraging because i think that's a crazy amount of money for him and then 10 percent said all of those are too much and then i think 11 and 15 each got like 44 percent so that seems kind of to be the area um that bucks fans are confident in. but like i said we'll i think we'll hash it out later and i think we're at different spots there um about how much money he could get yeah and i mean kevin o'connor threw out crab and I, if i remember correctly, i don't think kevin was necessarily saying that that's like oh he's gonna get that but correct might have been sort of more of like well he could in theory get something like this um and and kevin seemed to be more more tolerant of that number than um than i certainly would be i mean i, I wouldn't match tony at, at you know 17 18 million dollars a year i just and i don't know if can't. the bucks would either like no I, and, I can't imagine that that's something they're interested in either yeah and i don't yeah i think if if they thought he was gonna get that kind of money then maybe john hammond is has a different tone today but um <laughs> but yeah i mean i think I think I've said previously, and I'd probably hold this. I mean, I think you go to the to the bargain table, you say like four for you know forty or something like that, and say, "Hey, Tony, we'd love to have you back. Think about where you were a year ago, and you know how how well playing off of Giannis and Chris, and you know having that that shooting guard spot worked out for you here. Um, you know, let's run it back and and do it again." Um, because I think of that number also you're, you're protected if he, you know, if Middleton, if, if Jabari comes back if Middleton becomes the two again, uh, if Tony goes to the bench and he's playing, you know, 15, 20 minutes and certainly there's minutes at, at the two and three that he could play, um, as a backup. Um, you know, I think you want to have him at a number where if he's playing 15 to 20 minutes a game, you're not thinking, Jesus Christ, you know, how are we paying a guy that much money for that little, <laughs> for mm-hmm. that little time on the court. And so that, that's kind of where I come at, but yeah, I mean, if it's 11, yeah. Okay, fine. But I think once you get into that, like, you know, 14, 15, 16, I, you just can't pay that many guys that, you know, and I think it, that, that I think regardless of what Snell makes, I think the bucks really, you know, again, John Hammond has been nothing if not excellent at unwinding big deals for role players. Um, and you know, he signed John Henson and if he was able to get rid of miles Plumley, then, I would hope there's somebody out there willing to take John Henson off his hands for for you know minimal collateral damage. So I think we're now at the point with what we've seen from Thon. Um, I don't know unless unless you know Henson or sorry Monroe opts out and there's no other you know options. Um, I, I would lean towards trying to to move Henson, but obviously if Monroe leaves, then then maybe they just roll with um, Thon, Henson, and Spencer Hawes, and you know just kind of see what they have. But certainly a, an interesting spot for Tony Snell and. Um, certainly he, he could not have played much better than, than, than what he did, um, this season. And, um, he, he definitely earned himself a raise. I think it's interesting. You mentioned trading Henson because obviously Henson has found himself on the outside looking in his entire career, I guess. Um, he just seems to kind of find that role. And if you would trade him, maybe that makes more sense with the draft because with the draft, it appears that the top point guard prospects are probably all top 10 guys it looks like maybe five 
guys in the top 10, maybe five point guards in the lottery. And then after that, you, you find yourself in an area where it's bigs and wings and the, the things that the Bucks normally take swings on um, as, opposed, as opposed to point guards. And I asked John about the draft today, and uh, it, it was funny because John, when it comes to the draft, is always very guarded. Um, and he even mentioned that. And I asked, what do you think of this draft? And he said, it's a very good draft. It's very good. We're sitting at 17, and we think we can get a good player at 17. I think the front end of the draft is very, very good. And I'm not one to say that very often. I usually get very guarded on drafts. I'm not able to see the future like that, I guess. On this one, I think you can see the future. You can see these guys. There's a grouping of guys that have a chance to be special players in this league. And I think even down at 17, we're going to get a player. And to that, my obvious follow-up was, well, if you have those type of guys and if your team is progressing, is this the time where you try to make a trade to just find one piece in particular? And obviously... John treated that very politically and didn't say much, but I think that's an interesting thing in this draft is I I mentioned on Twitter the other day that it, I think point guard is the Bucks biggest position of need and point guards are very available and very good at the top of this draft. And once you get out of 10, maybe down to the lottery, if Tilkina, did I say it? Do I pronounce the N or do I not pronounce the N? I, I, I don't think you do. Tilikina? I, I that's thought what, I heard that's somebody how say it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so if Frank Tilikina. Yeah. Just, he's Frank. So French Frank. <laughs> if French Frank falls to 13 or 14, maybe. But other than that, like I just don't see any of those five point guys going that low. So uh, this is, uh, I think it's an interesting draft. And I thought it was very interesting that. John was as open about that draft being as good as it is because that's not something he really does. Yeah, that was interesting. Um, you know, usually people kind of I mean, usually he 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 always has the line about how they expect to get, you know, a good player or somebody, you know, some something complimentary about what the player will be that they pick. It started um, off very much like a normal answer. And then he was like, and you know what? I, I'm very guard about this, but the, I can see the future on these. I was like, "Whoa, okay, John." Like that—that that was weird. Yeah, yeah. And again, I'm—we're—we're we're probably like a few weeks from being able to speak, like you know, even being able to fake, uh, fake it as far as this draft goes. Um, yeah. So we need to put on our our, our draft hats uh, and and try to educate ourselves. But it is uh, one thing I will say, and I think I was talking about this on Twitter recently. This draft is going to be really interesting because, you know, and, and I said it last year, the Bucks, you know, we can talk about, oh, well, the Bucks might as well just gamble on, on Thunmaker or gamble on whoever, you know, because they, you, know, you might as well take a shot, right? And if you strike out, well, at least you try. You know, I mean, we talked about it. The, the, Bucks, the Bucks can't afford to really strike out on many draft picks right now um, because these are the guys that are going to grow into Giannis' supporting cast over the next few years. And... You know, again, not a lot of guys, pretty much no guys, are leading their team to, you know, conference finals or the finals when they're 22, right? I mean, they're, you know, Durant and Westbrook did it at a, at a pretty young age, but you know, I think Durant was in his fourth or fifth year at that mm-hmm. point. Um, and they also and, had both had of them it. and James Harden, so three top five picks. Like, right, and, and they were all, and those guys were all very young, but for the most part, you know, you takes guys, you know, I mean, um, it doesn't. It doesn't just happen overnight. So I think LeBron was what 2009 was his first um, 
first NBA Finals appearance, and so you know he was. I was. Oh, was it two thousand seven? Okay, so he was really early. That was when they got killed by the Spurs, right? Correct. Yeah. So I mean, again, there, there's some where the guys get in really early, um, but you know, it's it's hard to kind of get to the point where you really have a chance, and um, and so you know, we'll see. So I, I, like I said, I mean, Thon has been a really, I mean, a really pleasant surprise, but. They also need him to be good. They need him to be good. They don't necessarily, you know, it's not that you expect him to be a superstar, um, but they need him to be a productive rotation player. And I think at this point, you know, they they really need him to pan out as a as a good starter um, at center specifically. So um, so last year was a rousing success thus far. Knock on wood with with the draft, and you hope that that both Malcolm Brogdon and Thon Maker continue to develop. But once again, even from the 17th spot, I mean. You know, you look at you look at the Bucks bench, right? I mean, why, in part, why are we talking about the need to to give Tony Snell a massive contract? Why are we talking about John Hammond saying we need to add shooting? It's because you took a guy at 17 two years ago in Rashad Vaughn, and he hasn't been an NBA player yet. You know, and it, it's not necessarily easy to find guys who who are going to be you know viable NBA players. Certainly, as rookies, that's hard. Um, but even two to three years in, it's hard to find guys who are going to be, you know, good rotation players, potentially good starters. Um, but again, it, it, if you want to be a championship team, if you want to be a title contending team, you have to get big value from low expect, lower expected value places, right? Because we talked about it the other day. You're not going to just, you're not going to the Bucks, Milwaukee Bucks are not going to go and hit a grand slam in free agency. Uh, they, no. they barely have enough money to hit you know, a double <laughs> realistically, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, so the draft remains extremely important. And again, I think he alluded, you know, the, who's asked the question about trading it, uh, trading a pick. I think, was that you that asked that question? Um, yeah. And and so he kind of, it's, it was almost like he hadn't really thought about it that much, like the way he answered it. I think it, I remember it was kind of like, oh yeah, well, we, we'd consider doing that, you know. Um, and he, he pretty much always takes the like all options are on the table type approach with when it comes to the draft. Um, but uh, But yeah, I mean, they need to get, value from this draft and it and it can't just be you know out on you know Rashad Vaughn and Johnny O'Brien and Damian Inglis right like they need to do better than that I mean if you want to just be like an interesting pretty good team then you can strike out you know in the draft and you know make some bad moves and things like that if you want to be a championship team you got to start you got to start connecting on every you know you got to be a contact hitter right like you you can't just be a home run hitter they they got their home run with the honest now they they need to kind of keep keep making contact and and keep finding value and, and hopefully hopefully you do find another home run i need to stop this baseball analogy it's, you got me talking about brewers <laughs> one thing and then i guess that's kind of a good spot for us to go into this final segue but you mentioned hitting on thon and one thing i i really took away from today was unsolicited i think three times John mentioned it, I, it just seemed like he was begging me to ask him about it because he mentioned unsolicited how it, it took a, a certain type of coach and Jason to play Thon to give him those minutes and to give him chances and he said kind of the same thing with both their rookies that well if one I mean you don't expect rookies to kind of have that that impact but also for them to have that impact, you need a coach that trusts them and a coach that is willing to play them. And Jason was very much that guy. And um, I think it was three or four times before I actually got a chance to ask him about it. Um, and then he kind of said that, well, yeah, we... And I, and I asked, I think I asked it in, like, as an organization, how do you decide that Thon needs to go into the starting lineup? And he's like, 
he said, the decision was we draft him where we did. We thought he had upside and thought he had a chance to be a very good player in this league someday. But to be honest with you, I don't know how soon we thought he would get on the floor just because of strength. We talked about it. From a yearly standpoint, put 7 to 10 pounds on him per year and eventually get him at 230, 235. We had him out there this year at whatever he was, 215, 220. But you can never underestimate the heart of a guy. And I think we all know one thing. Thon has is great energy, great effort, and a big heart. And... Then I kind of went down that and said, well, was it encouraging that he was playing center? Because with those strength concerns, maybe that's not something you think of. And um, they're definitely all in on him being a center. Uh, <laughs> he, he was talking about how, well, he's a seven-footer. Like, that's where he's going to play. And it's so great that you can have a guy move his feet like that at the center position. And pretty much everything that we've talked about for why Thon is a center and not uh, any other position he, he mentioned all those things and um, I don't know it, it was just interesting to me that he made such a big deal out of Jason deciding to to go with Thon and to actually give him them give him that chance and I, I just always in the last week that's kind of been a big thing that I've I've asked Thon about I've asked Malcolm about I've asked Tony about that the Bucks kind of put blind faith in all three of those guys that Again, the Bucks didn't have a ton of options when Middleton went down, but they could have put their essential blind faith in MCW and said, "Okay, like Michael, like this is gonna, like you're gonna work it out, like you're gonna figure something out, and maybe that's you playing more at the two, maybe that's you playing with another point guard." Like they could have put their faith in that, but they saw enough in Malcolm that they said, "Okay, well we can trade MCW away. Malcolm can move into that backup point guard role." And then we can go from there. And then it was the same way. Like, okay, Tony, you're just going to start. And Tony ends up starting every game this year. And th- the same way with Thon. That, okay, Thon, we're struggling at center a little bit. We can't figure out who between Henson and Plumley actually deserves to see the floor. So let's put you in there. And then they put their faith in him. And it, it was just interesting that three of the Bucks' bigger successes this season have been guys that, to start the season, or I guess I should say to start training camp, or even whatever it may be, over the summer, you would have never thought that those guys would have played as big of a role as they did, and the Bucks put their faith in them, and, and it worked out. And it, it just kind of uh, furthered my belief that there's so much situational stuff in the NBA, like just finding the right situation is so huge in the NBA. And there could have been a world where Middleton doesn't get hurt and the Bucks don't make any of those trades. Malcolm Brogdon doesn't really get to play this year. And Malcolm Brogdon ends up playing in Europe in two years. Like that's, that's a thing that could have happened. And that's the thing I think that happens with anyone. And for those guys to get their chance to take advantage of it and to make something of it, like that's, a big thing and something that doesn't always happen. Yeah, I think the Thon starting remains sort of one of the more interesting things that happened this year. And I, I, I still don't know. I just don't know if I have a great sense because it was like Kid obviously had him on a short leash, but Kid played him, you know. And and as much as people, you know, like to second guess everything Kid does, uh, you know, I think Hammond is right. I, I don't know how many coaches in the in the NBA in a situation in which they are you know, kind of potentially coaching for their jobs and, yeah. and coaching to to try to win games and get a team back to the playoffs. Um, you know, it's one thing if you're, you know, the Phoenix Suns and, you know, you're benching Tyson Chandler and, you know, 
basically freezing, you know, putting putting Eric Bledsoe on ice and Brandon Knight on ice because you just want to play young guys and don't even want to bother trying to play your vets. Um, it's one thing in that situation to play Foundmaker and start him and play him major minutes. It's another when, you know, the team is trying to win games and um, and and has options, you know, Greg Monroe on the bench, right? So, um so I, I give Jason Kidd credit. I mean, again, we, we may have wanted to see a little more of Thon here and there, you know, but um, but certainly getting him on the court and figuring out, you know, ways to have him be productive, not sheltering him from um, the abuse of being an NBA center and just throwing him out there and letting him figure it out and, um, and, and you know, letting him sink or swim. And for the most part, um, you know, he, he may have thrashed around a little bit, but, but ultimately he swam. And we, I think that... Obviously, it's difficult to imagine the Bucks in this playoff series without Thon Maker and some of the things that he was able to do. And in, in, maybe still fits and starts, but um, I'll say this: what we saw against the the Raptors. I look at this roster. Um, this better be a good defensive team next year. There is no excuse if you're if you're bringing back Tony Snell. And you're, you know, going to have Thon Maker in his second year, presumably starting or playing regular rotation minutes. Regardless, you have Giannis, you have healthy Chris Middleton, uh, you have Brogdon and Delvadova. If those guys are your are your point guards, um, you know Jabari Parker, probably the worst defender out of the group. He's not going to be playing the start of the season. Um, this better be a good defense. If this is the 19th ranked defense in the league again, then it's probably because you know. Jason Kidd's trying to do the same thing and it's not working and you know they haven't they just they haven't learned their lesson so I, I think that's really one of the most interesting things when I look at this team if they can continue to be you know an above average offense and maybe get a little better but then also you know become an above average defense which they have all the tools to be that um, I think that's going to be really fascinating to watch next year man that is some unbridled optimism from Frank well, Matt- I don't know if it- I don't know if it's optimism. I'm just saying they should be, right? I mean, no, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Like just the ability for a Bucks fan to say something like that. Like I think that is, yes. Like I'm so down with it. That's exciting and fun. Um, high standards. High standards, Eric. Yes. New. New. Yes. It's a new. It's a new day in Milwaukee. We're gonna. We're gonna actually have some high standards. Yeah. And for once, God damn it, Bucks. How about you live up to some <laughs> moderately high stand? How about you give us a little bit? How about you not? take our little bit of happiness and you know kick it and and spit on it and uh and just 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 start keep progressing you know just yeah. don't don't be satisfied let's 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 go with this yeah i'm down with that um i think that's gonna be it we talked for a long time about this i wasn't quite sure that we did but i'm happy we did there was a bunch of interesting stuff Hopefully that'll tidy you for the entire weekend um, and maybe the start of next week a little bit. I don't know, maybe Monday as well. We'll see. Um, but we'll be back next week. Um, this has been Locked on Bucks. That was Frank Madden. I'm Eric Name. This episode was brought to you by SeatGeek. Use the promo code L-O-B-U-C-K-S. Again, L-O-Bucks on your first SeatGeek purchase and get a $20 rebate. So go out and do that today and just find great deals at SeatGeek. Frank, I'm enjoying high standards setting something, having expectations. This is a good thing. This is healthy. I'm excited. By the way, what one more stat. One more stat as we go out. Fawn Maker, Giannis, Malcolm Brogdon, Chris Middleton, Tony Snell. Only played 135 minutes together in the regular season. Mm-hmm. Their, def- their defensive rating, 99.8. That'll do. How about Tony Snell throwing Della Vadova, Chris Middleton, Thon Maker, Giannis? 
defensive rating 94.4. Again, not a ton of minutes, only 100 minutes, but that'll those do. Teams de- those teams defended, right? I mean, that'll those do. teams defended. And um, and there are, there are a number of teams, even there are a number of, of of lineups, even with Greg Monroe at center, that defended at a high level this year. So, um, yeah, I think defensively in particular, time time to raise the bar here a little bit. All right, that's fun, that's exciting. This is the off season, so we'll be a little bit more sporadic as always. But we gave you a whole bunch of content this week, so I feel good about that, Frank. Happy weekend, everybody. And if you're listening to this next week or some other time, happy whatever day it is to you as well. Uh, this has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you some other time.